You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Well, welcome to Vineyard Community Church. My name is Rick Francis. I'm the pastor. God bless you. It's good to have you here on this wonderful Friday's Father's Day. And um, we've had our miracle time. We're continuing to pray for John Newell and Mike Robertson, uh, Beth Potts, uh, Betsy Hardiman, and Ed Fence, and all the others that are on your heart. So we continue to lift those up. Yesterday, uh, we were at a wedding, and I, I ran into a good friend uh, from Bread of Life, uh, Bill Doherty, and we were talking, having a wonderful time, sharing all sorts of God stories of how wonderful God is and, and everything. And as we're talking, you know, I, I realize I'm talking to a man who 10 years ago lost his 21, 22-year-old son. Um, And the Lord just spoke so much to my heart as we were talking about the miraculous of what God is doing. A lot of times when you have some, some kind of trauma like that, you have some kind of event where you've really, really prayed and you prayed hard and you've given it everything that you've got and it appears like God said no, it, it can take the wind out of your sails. And I've seen a lot of folks kind of give up on God, become bitter toward God, become angry, uh, for far less than losing a child, but definitely when, when it comes to losing a son, an adult son, early in his life, he was such an anointed worshiper. Uh, there, were, there was a season when I was able to go over to Bread of Life Ministries, and I would go over there because they just had such a tremendous time of worship. Uh, our worship today went, I don't know, 40 minutes or so, 45 they went for two hours every Sunday. Oh, my Lord. Hour and a half to two hours. And it was just like heaven. I just loved it. Now, I know not everybody has the same temperament and grace and all that kind of stuff. For some of you, you would feel like you were wasting time. Uh, but it was, it was just marvelous. I just delighted. And Adam was such an anointed worshiper on the Sundays that he would lead. It was so incredible. And... Uh, I just enjoyed that so much. So it was so good to talk to Bill and to, to see that where God's taking him and where God's taking me, our hearts are, are beating after the kingdom. We're wanting to see uh, sickness and disease destroyed. And, and that, that's kind of what happens when you have one of those, those huge mega moments. Uh, you either go to hard hardness or you open up your heart and you realize that the real culprit is, is the kingdom of darkness and, and you go after destroying it with, with a fervency and use that. And um, that just blessed my heart. We've been talking since Easter, uh, the resurrection of Jesus uh, through Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, uh, we looked at those 40 days that Jesus taught his disciples about the kingdom of God. And you all know where I stand on that. I'd love to have been there. I wish they had an archive video. I wish technology was up back then so we could go back and, and see the original teachings that he taught his disciples about the kingdom. But then we see in Pentecost the coming of the Holy Spirit and the manifestation of that reality to the earth. 
And uh, as, as they were gathered, the 120 in the upper room, and as they were, were fearful, uh, still trying to figure it all out, having been with Jesus and, and, and then the Holy Spirit showing up, and, and there, there comes a level of courage that takes place as they're speaking in all these languages and people are hearing the wonders of God and they're thinking that they're drunk, but they're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. And then Peter gets up as a crowd has assembled and he proclaims one of the most incredible messages, the, the preaching of the gospel. And we have over 3,000 people who come to Jesus that day. Pretty cool. No question about it. We get to chapter 3. We, we get the, the crippled man, you know, set out uh, near the temple. And as, as Peter and John are going by, they don't have the, the coins that the guy's looking for, but they give what they do have. And, and you just start to see they've lived with Jesus for three and a half years or so. They've, they've had these encounters. They've even gone out and seen God work and, and move through them. They also came up across a, a, a demonic experience where they couldn't get the, the demon out of the sun and Jesus had to come and, and take care of that situation. But, but you see that there's, there's a crescendo that is, that is building and now as we see them in chapter three, they have a boldness, they have a courage. The Holy Spirit is now in them and moving and comes upon them and there's power that's being released. And as this is happening, more and more people are coming to salvation. More and more people are coming to the wholeness of being part of the family of God. And so that is just incredible. But there starts to be the opposition. Man, this sounds like what happened to Jesus. Do you realize what happened to Jesus? You may not have to have nails through your hand, but you're going to have something similar. There's always going to be, there's always going to be some opposition and so we see that there was opposition to the healing of this crippled man, but this miracle was right there and nobody could refute it. So what could they do? Uh, they told him to stop teaching and preaching in this name, in the name of Jesus. And so they, they say, well, we're, you know, yeah, yeah. Figure the odds on that. And so now they're, they're continuing. They're continuing to preach. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 5, verse 12. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Yeah. Do you know why they didn't dare join them? Because it was a holy club, and if you didn't have a certain kind of membership card, you weren't allowed. To, to come to the meetings. No, it's because Ananias and Sapphira uh, just got carried out for lying to the Holy Spirit. They realized that this just wasn't the, the pop culture thing. This, this was something that had the tangible manifest presence of God. And so people regarded them very highly, but they, they were a little timid about coming until they received the gospel. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. 
As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Doesn't this sound like Jesus? I mean, when you hear the gospel about Jesus and you find that he's going out and there's all these sick people that are brought and he goes out and like Mark says in chapter one, and he healed them all. And the whole village would come out with their sick and with their demonized and, and, and Jesus would touch and minister to them and they'd all be healed. And there's many, many places in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the four gospels where there's occasions when everybody gets healed. And now because of the signs and wonders that are happening, accompanying the proclamation of the gospel, uh, they're, so, they're so filled with faith and belief that they know that if they can at least get their sick loved one in a path that Peter would oftentimes follow on his way to the temple. Because that's what the early church did. They would meet at the temple and they would meet in the house. They'd meet in the house, they'd meet in the temple. And those are two things that will always be a part of the, of the body of Christ. We will always meet in the larger corporate gathering, but we'll also meet in the smaller, more intimate, smaller gathering. And so they knew kind of the parade route that Peter would go when he was going to the temple. So if you had a sick loved one, you'd get them, put them out, figure out, you know, okay, if he comes for the three o'clock prayer, sun's about there this time of the year, let's put Betty Lou right here and see if Peter might either touch, pray, minister, or if nothing else, his shadow would fall. This is interesting. Uh, for, for those that are kind of intrigued by this kind of stuff, how does a shadow heal? There's something about being so saturated and being so one with Christ, realizing that we're in Christ and that Christ is in us. And as we continue to nurture and develop that, that relationship, that intimacy with him, it's like he starts to ooze out like garlic. I've, I had some friends that are big garlic eaters, you know, and they'd come in on Sunday morning and I'd give them a hug and I'd say, oh, went to Olive Garden last night, huh? Okay, you know, you could, it, was, it would come out of the pores almost. And it's almost like the power and the presence of God was so present in the early disciples that it would manifest even in their shadow. Now, <clears throat> sometimes, you know, Today, we talk about, you know, the sense of presence that you carry. You know, some people, uh, when they come into the room, they fill the whole room up. They're just that kind of person. They just come in, their personality's big, they carry something. But, you know, I've, I've, I've seen that personality-wise, but I've also seen that spiritually. I remember way back in the 1990s, Paul Yonggi Cho, I was, I was down at Heritage USA and I was in this huge, huge auditorium and I, I, I got into the front row and Paul Yonggi Cho, he's the Korean pastor, the largest church in the world, he, he was going to speak and he came by and when he came by, his presence, 
He carried something so incredible, his presence. I, I started walking backwards because it, it had an impact that just moved you. It was just amazing. And I think that was the kind of thing that was happening here, that these guys had been with Jesus. They were not educated. They weren't learned. They weren't religious PhDs, but they'd been with Jesus so long. And now the Holy Spirit was upon them and within them that the manifest and the radiance of the glory of God just rippled out. And even through their shadow. Wow. Being a Methodist in my early days and studying John Wesley and and the Methodist circuit writers around this country. That's why we got Methodist churches every two miles. You know, the, they, they had the circuits. And so the, the minister, you needed two things. You need a good Bible and you needed a good horse. You need a good horse. And so you just go from circuit to circuit and you'd visit. But they would talk about the time when the, when the farmer was in the field and the circuit rider would come by. They were so filled with the presence of God that the farmer would fall to his knees and repent of his sins and receive Jesus without a word ever being spoken because of the presence and the anointing of God upon his servant. So this is cool stuff. Anybody want some shadow healing ministry? I I think this this sounds pretty good to me. Sounds like a lot of fun. Mm. So you have this, you have this reality that's happening. You've got this, on this one side, there's this, this real fear that God is scary. Uh, you know, you lie to him, you die. You know, you lie to the Holy Spirit, you know. Man, that's serious stuff. And they have two, two that have been taken out. And so they, but out of that comes such a reverence and an awe that when people, they're not coming because it's, it's the most cool, popular thing to do. They're reserved about coming, but when they hear the gospel message, their hearts receive Jesus, and that's how they get introduced into the, into the church. Wow. We don't have anything quite like that going on today, do we? And they're not coming into the church because they're afraid of the church. They're not interested in the church. There's not a whole lot happening in the church. There's nothing that would draw them to the church. There's no fear of God in coming to the church. Every now and then I come across, you know, one of these guys that says, well, if I came in your church, the ceiling would cave in, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, if they came in, God would bring, you know, and they, it, it just... My heart is to see the Holy Spirit have his place of honor among us to where he is doing what he does best. And the result of that has an impact on the community, has an impact on the world. Mm. All of them were healed. I would call that a good day. (laughs) Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. These are the ones that should have been able to identify what was going on in the earth. These were the religious scholars. 
These are the ones that had the Old Testament scrolls that had memorized and studied and should have been able to see the fulfillment of the prophet Joel. Even as Peter brought it into focus, they should have been able to see this. They should have been able to see the miracles, the signs. They, they see the, the anointing that's on Peter. And all this does is provoke them to jealousy. They're jealous. Hmm. They arrest the apostles, put them in the public jail so they can get the maximum humiliation factor that they possibly can. And during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. <sighs> Angels. This is, this is so incredible. You start to see that as you follow in obedience, the Holy Spirit begins to manifest in some very tangible ways. Not only that, but when you run into conflict and opposition, you find that you have angelic servants, messengers from Father, who come to assist you. And tell you to go back and do the very thing that got you arrested. Duh. Okay. But you're going to find that as you begin to walk in the Holy Spirit, there's always going to be opportunities to advance and move in a more intimate relationship or to retreat and, and start a, a stagnant, stuck place. And a lot of times the enemy will use such an occasion as this. When the Lord tells us to do something and we don't, it affects the dynamic of what's going to happen in our lives, in our intimacy with the Holy Spirit. This will come out a little clearer at, at the end of the passage. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. They went in early. They're early risers. It's at daybreak that they start teaching at the temple. Wow. Most of my church wouldn't be there. <laughs> Deb, there's no way, is there? Daybreak. RB would be there. RB would be, this guy, he's teeing off before the sun shines. So, yeah. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they'd been told and began to teach the people. And when the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. <laughs> now I like angelic jailbreaks. Those sound like the best kind. Man. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled. That's a nice word for it. They were just puzzled, wondering what would come of this. The Sanhedrin seems to be so significant in the life of, of the kingdom. For King Jesus, you know, it, it's the, the horrible trial that sends him on his way. 
the arrest leading to the crucifixion. And here these guys, they know what happened to Jesus and they're starting to see it all reenacted with them. They've been warned once, but when you have a miracle standing right next to you, there's not a whole lot they can do. So they release them. Now they've been warned again. Then someone came saying, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. I think the old King James says, and you have filled all of Jerusalem. I, I kind of like that a little better. Yeah, yeah all of Jerusalem. <laughs> Make us guilty of this man's blood. Guess what, buddy? You're the one that killed him. <laughs> Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. Than men. The God of our fathers raised, raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Yes. Wow. There's a boldness. There's a boldness that you see just in Peter, but you, you realize that Peter's representing all the disciples and it's a boldness, I think, for every follower of Christ as we see how, how Peter moved from just speaking under the anointing of the Holy Spirit to moving out in boldness, to following and to obeying. And as he went from one level of boldness to the next level of boldness with a courage that transcended his education, that, it, that transcended his status in, in the social system. He had a courage that came straight from Father. And out of that courage, he was able to speak and he spoke boldly. He didn't mince any words. You're, you're accusing us of proclaiming Jesus and teaching Jesus and making you guilty for shedding his blood. By the way, the one that you killed, God raised. Man, you would think that would have an impact. You'd think that, you know, if you just killed someone and then they were resurrected, it might have an impact that maybe I made the wrong decision. That might not have been the best moment in my decision-making life. Mm. But Peter says, we must obey God. We must obey God. And I think a lot of times when we, when we see this, we must obey God a lot of times the enemy causes us to hear this is that I really don't want to, but I've got to obey God. I, I'd rather not. I'd rather stop blaming you guys and, and I'd rather, you know, not get in trouble and get arrested, but I got to obey God. No. Their obedience came out of a love connection with Jesus. 
Their obedience came out of a passionate intimacy with God that they couldn't help themselves because the one they loved, they loved so much, they couldn't help but speak in his name. They couldn't help but share the kingdom that he came to establish on the earth. They couldn't help themselves. They had to obey, not because they had to, but because love compelled them to. A lot of times we hear, I have to obey. Debbie told me so, so I got to do this. I got to obey. Now, if she hadn't said it, I probably wouldn't have done it, but she said it, so I've got to. No, no, no. It's not not that at all. It's because I love her so much that I want to do this. We was just at a wedding yesterday, and, and I was just thinking, you know, you remember back when you first got married and the passion and the, just the, you, the excitement, the acceleration and everything. And then you hear these folks, you know, they've been married for a long, long time. And they talk about how their love for their spouse now is even greater than when they first got married. I don't know what you guys thought of that, but I always thought, yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's why you don't open the door anymore? Uh-huh, yeah. Uh. That's why you forgot her and you left her over? Uh, yeah. Uh. And it's like, hmm, I don't, I don't know if I buy that. But the Holy Spirit's been teaching me. He's been teaching me why that's true. Why that's true. If your love for your spouse next to your love for Jesus. And as a matter of fact, it's kind of included in your love for Jesus. As your love for Jesus increases, your love for your spouse increases. Now you've seen the old triangle, you know, where you're over here and your spouse is over here and Jesus is up here. So the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you get to your spouse, you know, and and you see that. And intellectually, academically, I give assent to that. I, I use that. A lot. I just think it's a great idea. The problem is if, if one gets closer to Jesus, the other stays. Ooh, that makes it a little more difficult. But if you're growing together, but here's, here's the thing that the Holy Spirit's just been really bringing home to me. My intimacy for my spouse should cause me to understand more expression, new expression sometimes of my intimacy with God. And as I experience new intimacies with God and I go to the secret place, I'm in the quiet place and I'm spending time with him who is I am. I am. If you're going to spend time with I am, you got to, you got to be present in the present tense. You got to be present now. And most of us are three hours ahead, two hours ahead, 20 minutes, living in the past. You got to get present, current, if you're going to have a connection with I am. I've been really working on that because a lot of times I'm always thinking about what's coming and trying to anticipate. It goes back to my little league baseball training. What am I going to do if the ball's hit to me and there's two outs and runners on first and second? 
I got to figure out what I'm going to do with the ball. And so I was, I was ingrained. I was just obsessed about that kind of stuff. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And so you get that and you realize that that is a hindrance to really connecting with the Lord, who is I am. You got to connect to him in the present. Try it. Try it. The other day in one of the worship sets, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just brought to my attention, you're worried about what you're going to say after worship's over and you're thinking about the offering. I want you to connect with me right now. And I just thought, oh, that's right. Be present. It's I am. And when I did, I couldn't tell you if an hour went by or five seconds. Because when you connect with I am in the present, He's not bound by the present. He's not bound by time and space. And when you connect with him and you kind of enter into that dimension of oneness with him, poof, blows your mind. You have no concept of how long you've just been. But that's the intimacy. The intimacies that I'm experiencing with the Lord, I now realize those are intended for me to transfer to my intimacy with Debbie. It's like, oh, I thought I was just supposed to put up with her and keep my, keep my intimacy going this way. And it's like, no, no, no. Have a good enough marriage that it doesn't mess up my intimacy with God. And it's like, no, the things that I'm teaching you here work here. And they really do. I find my heart's changing almost daily. That was her maiden name, <laughs> Daily. So I prayed the Lord's Prayer all the time. Give me this day my daily bread. (sighs) But there's something glorious for us to understand. And if you're single, that intimacy that you experience here gets released in that special community of friends that you have. That is kind of your spouse. the, The special community of friends that you have as a single person. Right on. Mm -hmm. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Obedience, Holy Spirit. But the foundation is always love. Many of us have grown up in religious traditions where there's an oughtness and almost a shaming mentality in the church that you're not a good Christian if you don't do this. Or we'll pray for you, brother, because you're not da-da-da-da. And, and there's almost a, a, guilt, a guilt motivation to be good and to obey. And that is the hardest thing to get out of you if you've been raised in that environment. But as you have an authentic encounter with the Lord God Almighty, the love that he releases inside transforms that whole ought, should, guilt, shame-ridden motivation. And now it's because he loves me. He's a good, good father. That's who he is. And I'm loved by him. That's who I am. And when that becomes a reality and, and you know that, it changes all the reasons why we do what we do. Amen. And so we obey. We obey. And the more we obey, (laughs) sometimes the rougher it gets. Because that's how you get built up. If if you're going to gain strength, you got to have a little resistance. That's why we use weights to build up those muscles. 
You know, you have something that there's reason. And, and I, I guarantee you, if you intimately pursue a relationship with the Lord God Almighty, you will have opposition. It may be your spouse. It may be your church. It may be your best friends or family. It's, it's amazing that there's always op- opposition. It could be at the workplace, but that opposition is designed to strengthen and to build us up so that the love can flow. I find the more obedient you are, the more you'll see the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. I go all the way back to my encounter with the Holy Spirit. It came after I had to go to a person at a gas station and ask for forgiveness for the way I spoke to them. I won't give you the long version. My wife, say amen. Amen. Short version. But that night, the Holy Spirit came to me. And I had an encounter with him that I think was birthed out of that obedience of repenting. Because what's the Holy Spirit come? He comes to give us the gift of repentance, the forgiveness of sins. Not just an intellectual academic awareness of that, but an actual heart reality that we're forgiven, that we're absolutely loved and forgiven and redeemed. So I was thinking, how do I land this plane today? Holy Spirit's given those who obey. And one of the things I I was now moving back into kind of Father's Day expression, and I thought, you know, I felt like the Lord was saying that he wanted me to impart a father's inheritance today for us. And I thought, what's that look like, Lord? You've heard me talk, and I've been given this kind of language that, that right now I believe the call of God on my life is to build into as many young people as I possibly can. Old people, I love you. It's not that I'm going to ignore you or anything like that. But I, I think I'm supposed to take everything that God's given to me and invest it in the young people, in, in the next generation that's going to take the kingdom and, and run with it. I use language like I want my ceiling, all the things that I've had to battle and contend for, I want my ceiling to be their floor. That's the place where they start. I've I've been amazed at the things that you can receive in the kingdom and in the spirit realm through spiritual inheritance. Paul in Ephesians says that, you know, we have all these blessings, these heavenly, these heavenly realm blessings that are ours. And a lot of them we can access because they're ours by inheritance. And and Paul likes to use that language. And when you receive them through an inheritance, you don't do anything to work for them. You just get them. So the things that we've had to contend for, I want to see the next generation just to get. I hope nobody gets kicked out of their denomination ever again because they speak in tongues. That's just stupid. But that's what I had to experience, and that's what I had to go through. I pray that no one else has to go through that. They tell me, even in my denomination, if that happened today, it would not be handled the way it was back in 1987. Yeah, 86, 87. So the thought is, okay, we've contended. We need to impart what it is that we've been able to to develop in our walk in the kingdom. 
and transfer it to the young ones. To receive an inheritance, the next generation's got to want what you got. If they don't want it, they're not going to ask for an inheritance. But the, the inheritance that I want to give is a hard inheritance. The Lord was talking to me this morning, said, Rick, you've got, you've got something to give in the realm of heart. I thought, yeah. For over 25, 30 years, I've been pursuing the healing of my heart. I, I've continued to pursue that and pursue that because I knew something was wrong. There was wounds that I wasn't even aware of, but I knew something was, was not right in my heart that was giving me the full expression to really engage and to be one with the Lord and just in love and delight in his presence. And uh, I shared this testimony a while back. It, it's probably been, you know, I've had many, many encounters. I had one encounter uh, with, a, I think, a Rwandan apostle, Uma Ugpai. He, he ministered in this building back when Tim Beeson was here. And Uma he prayed for me, and he, he, he was this incredible anointed servant of the Lord, and he'd wear his full African uh, robe. Wow. And when he would come under the anointing, he would twirl and he would spin, and his robe would go out and all this kind of stuff. And he was praying for a line of us, and as he was preaching that day, my heart was just going nuts. And I thought, what am I going to do? And he says, I'm not even going to give a word of knowledge. He says, uh, the, the Holy Spirit's been talking to you. If he's been talking to you, come up. And I knew that was me, so I came up. So he's going down the line praying for people. He didn't even get to me. He's praying for the guy next to me. He took his hand off there. He got his hand about to here. And I had the most strange experience I've ever had. I felt like a feather. I went, woof, woof, woof. Next thing you know, I'm lying on the floor and I've got this involuntary muscle spasm going right over my heart. And it's just going, and that happened for like 25 minutes or so. It was just, just going. And I thought, I've been asking God to heal my heart. I think he's doing it. I think he's doing it. And I was so excited. I thought, this is great. Well, that was one level of healing. And there were many, many levels since then. But the craziest one happened like less than two months ago. I'm in, I'm in my bed. We've gone to see Captain America. Yay. <laughs> I love that. And I won't take you through all my dreams, but it ricocheted there and went there and went there. And anyway, I'm lying on a hospital surgery table and I'm getting a heart transplant. And I look over to see who the donor is. I can see, I'm fully awake in my dream. I can see the cavity inside my chest. I see where the heart goes. And I look over to see the donor, who the donor is, because he, he's right next to me. And I see they take out his heart and put it in my heart. And I look to see who the donor is, and it's Jesus. And I freak out <laughs> in holy ecstasy, just absolutely amazed, totally. That happened on a Monday night. I tell Debbie about it. It's just kind of, it's kind of wild. It's just like, what? But I woke up. I felt different. I felt like something had happened. 
I couldn't, I couldn't identify everything that happened, but it felt like something happened. We have a school of kingdom ministry that meets on Thursday nights. And that night we, we soaked in the presence of the Lord and we were instructed to write little notes as the Lord, as the Holy Spirit led us, write a note to someone and give it to them, a, a prophetic word. Rebecca Emmerich gave me this note right there. She's got great penmanship. I'm going to frame this one of these days. Go for it. Rick, you have my heart. Love God. Oh, my stars. <laughs> she didn't know anything about what I had experienced. And over and over, the Lord has been talking about his heart, about my heart. There was one time in, in the midst of it, as I was going through my, my cry for healing of my heart, where, you know, being a good Methodist, I would always cry out, Lord, search me and try me, see if there be any wicked way. Examine my heart, O Lord, examine my heart. You know, I'd always pray that prayer. One time I felt like God just said, really? Are you kidding me? I know your heart. I want you to examine my heart. And that rocked me too. Climaxing with the dream. Just amazing. So I think as a Father's Day gift, if anyone would like an, an impartation of inheritance, I don't know how the Lord does this, but I, I felt like I was going to uh, have people come up and we're, I feel like the, the Father's Day gift that Father wants to give through me to you is healing of the heart. It may not be the final one. It may be one of the intermediary, uh, intermediary steps uh, in between. But if, if you would like to receive an inheritance of healing of the heart, you came to the right place. Yes. So Father, huh? No, anybody, anybody, anybody. Whatever, right? No, no, no. So, Father, thank you for your love. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come as I seek to obey you and hear you as best I can. I believe that you've called for a release of healing for the heart. And I pray, Father, through transference, through inheritance, Holy Spirit, that you'd make this transaction and there, there would be tangible movement in heart healings today. So if that hits you, I invite you to the front and we will continue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, let's place, place your hand over your heart. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. You don't have to come to the front. You can, you can do this anywhere you want. But I just invite you to put your hand over your, your heart. I pledge the... No, that's not what we're doing. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you here right now. Mm. Father, you're so good. And you've given so many, so many wonderful, gracious, good gifts. You're a good, good father. If we being evil know how to give good gifts <laughs> to our children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We ask for good gifts. I pray right now, Father, as you have blessed me with heart, healing. Lord, I impart it to each one of my brothers and sisters. I pray, Father, a Father's inheritance in the healing of hearts. Lord, that you would move, that you would touch. Holy Spirit, that you would take stuff out that needs to be taken out, that you would put stuff in that needs to be brought in. Lord, where we have our wires crisscrossed, where things aren't being uh, connected correctly, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make the proper adjustments huh, to all the wiring to the harnesses of our heart. I release an impartation of inheritance for healing of the heart. So, Lord Jesus, I testify that you give good gifts. That the thing that I've, I've pursued my whole life, I've contended for, you have given to me and I say thank you. And now, Lord, I want to release that to the body of Christ, to all my brothers and sisters, and Lord, especially to the generation that comes after. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to receive it to the glory and praise of your holy name. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.